platform for an in-depth look in economic matters with leaders and decision makers. This is BizTalk. Representatives from over 130 nations convened in Beijing to witness the historic gathering at the third Belt and Road Forum for international cooperation, shaping the trajectory of global connectivity cooperation. The Belt and Road is really taking uh, the format of being a global village. Belt and Road is probably the most available and most ready and most matured uh, global scheme. Delving into the chronicles of the past decade, this distinguished forum traced the metamorphosis of the Belt and Road Initiative, a transformative force propelling cross-continental connectivity in bolstering infrastructural prowess. Both the One Belt, One Road Initiative and Russia's Greater Eurasian Partnership Initiative are essentially a response to worrying trends. These 10 years were like a warm-up in global terms. From promoting green finance to pioneering carbon emission reductions and establishing robust regulatory frameworks, the partnership between BRI and BRICS development is set to redefine the landscape of sustainable development. They should complement each other, promote each other, and eventually the common goal is very simple, very straightforward, the common prosperity for mankind as a whole. Join us on this week's BizTalk to witness the confluence of visionaries charting a course toward a future of shared prosperity and interconnected destinies. Hello and welcome to this special episode of BizTalk on the third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation. I'm Guanxing in Beijing. The third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation has brought together representatives from over 130 countries. Over the past decade, how has the Belt and Road Initiative evolved to boost connectivity and infrastructure across continents? And looking ahead, how can this initiative contribute to equal, open, and mutually beneficial global governance? Join us in our Beijing studio, we have Wang Huiyao, founder and president of Beijing-based think tank Center for China and Globalization, China's leading think tank, and he was a former counselor at China State Council. And Victor Gao Zhikai, chair professor at Suzhou University, a prominent expert on economic policies. And join us via Zoom, we have Chris Devonshir Ellis, chairman of Dezen Shira and Associates and publisher of Silk Road Briefing. Chris is joining us from Malta. Welcome to our show. And my co-host, Vasily Kuchushev, joins us from Moscow. Hello, Vasily. Warm greetings to you and the entire TV Bricks team. I can see the wonderful setup in your Moscow studio. It is a great pleasure to be working together across continents for this show. Over to you now. Please introduce us to your guests and give us the preview of the conversations coming up from Moscow. Hello Beijing, we send our regards from Moscow and definitely this is a great opportunity to have co-production on this very important topic of Belt and Road Initiative. Please allow me to introduce myself and our experts. I am Vasily Kuchushev, host of TV Bricks International Media Network. We welcome Dmitry Birichevsky, director of the Department of Economic Cooperation at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Russian Federation to join us in the studio. And also we have Vitaly Mankevich, President of the Russian Asian Union of Industrialists and Entrepreneurs. Thank you very much for joining us. Colleagues, the Grand Forum for the Belt and Road takes place in Beijing and we would appreciate to know the view of the guests from Beijing studio about the event. 
Well, thanks vastly for the introduction. With the perspective shared by esteemed experts from both sides, I'm confident we have a thought-provoking and constructive dialogue. So, Henry, let me start with you. So, given the vital role of this forum in advancing Belt and Road cooperation, what expectations do you have for how its outcomes might catalyze and reinvigorate multilateralism to further boost BRI development? I, I think that uh, you know the world enter uh, a huge uh, uh, unprecedented uh, challenges, and of course, also there could be uh, enormous opportunities as well. Uh, so the the global economy actually need a big booster, and I look at back for the last decade, and you look at for the next decade. Uh, I think uh, you know if you if you count what are the available uh, stimulus or, or big things that can glue everybody together, Belt and Road is probably the most available and most ready and most matured uh, mm. uh, global scheme uh, that global public goods that China has been uh, initiating and providing and working with. Uh, Different countries together. So, so I think for that perspective, uh, global multilateralism, globalization needs a strong boost uh, because of the economic uh, slowdown, because of deglobalization, and of course also trade wars, tariffs, and uh, sanctions, decoupling, de-risk. We're seeing all those things happening. Mm -hmm. So it's important that we have something common course that infrastructure is the big denominator yeah. for the world and for all the countries to work together. And China has. Uh, 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 contribute to that. Mm. Indeed, we should build on the past success and move forward. And Victor, I'd like to have your take on this. I think one significance of this BRI summit is to really thoroughly look back for the past 10 years, achievements, shortcomings, any improvements, but also equally importantly, if not more importantly, looking forward into the future, the next 10 years. BRI for the past 10 years has been proven to be the right approach. As Henry said, you know, it is international public good. Mm. Every country participating in this initiative can benefit. And this is truly a good occasion for China to share with the rest of the world one philosophy that we firmly believe in. That is to become rich, build a road. Mm. That's the origin of the Belt and Road Initiative. We need to build roads, connectivity projects of all kinds, linking one nation with another, one part of the world with another, one continent with another. And BRI is not politicized, it is not based on ideology, it is basically based on one simple truth, that greater connectivity will generate greater productivity and efficiency, enriching the livelihood of everyone involved. So, while we celebrate the 10th anniversary of BRI, I think it is time for the whole world to muster enough courage to embrace BRI. And Chris, let me take this to you. What possibilities excite you the most to further accelerate BRI development? 3,000 cooperation projects are underway or have been completed, 200 bilateral documents, and close to one trillion US dollars of money has been spent on this. So um, what's next? Great question. Uh, well, China has shown over the last decade, I think, a lot of, uh, uh, of well-planned infrastructure uh, developments. And I think that this is, uh, as has earlier been said, exactly the right way to go ahead. In terms of what's coming down the pipeline, I think that uh, we're going to see the uh, development of digital sovereign currencies. Uh, China, Russia, and several other countries are already at the last 
um, uh, planning stages of introducing this will be available. Uh, it's uh, predicted by sometime early 2025. But other currencies uh, will also move towards uh, having digital, uh, digital uh, versions of their sovereign currencies issued by their respective central banks. And this will help uh, Greece, the, uh, the, uh, the cogs of international trade. New economic transfer systems to uh, not compete with, but perhaps be alternatives and uh, exist alongside SWIFT. These are being developed and will be introduced. So basically, the, the changes, I think, will fundamentally alter the way in which we conduct business on a global basis, changing the way we do that. Uh, I think it will also increase person-to-person connectivity. Uh, and as was mentioned earlier, uh, the Belt and Road is really taking uh, the format of being a global village in terms of uniting these economies and countries. And again, I stress, 152 countries out of 195 are part of this. And that is, um, that's very much a majority. And I think this is where the developments are going to be made, interconnectivity uh, on, on a global basis amongst BRI members. Hmm. We've covered a lot of grounding our discussion so far. I'm sure, Vasily, you have some questions for the experts we have with us here in the Beijing studio. Please go right ahead. Yes, I have a question. How confident are you that the cooperation between China and its Belt and Road Initiative partners can become even more constructive contributors to global development and global governance? Yes, as I said, we, we, the world now becomes so fragmented and, then, and we are getting into the multipolar world. And then uh, we are really quite surprised to see that uh, the BRICS country has expanded so fast. For example, this year the BRICS summit has, ex has doubled the BRICS countries from 5 to 11 now, and, and six new countries joined that. And there's another 20, 30 countries uh, in, in, the, in the waiting line. And I think one of the attractions for that is really look at the potential of this growth of the developing country of the global south, which China's Belt and Road has played a huge role there. So we want to improve Belt and Road's initiative, initiative, enhance that, and improve that, and engage more countries to work on that. And this is really to strengthen the new era of multilateralism in the multipolar world. So we know Russia is one of the partners in the Belt and Road Initiative. And we would like to hear from guests in your studio, and please take it over. Thank you. And yes, indeed, Russia and China have achieved significant progress in bilateral economic and trade cooperation. And I'm sure our guests can tell us more about it. What's your assessment of current trends in the world economy? What's the role of the Greater Eurasian Partnership in this process? Good afternoon. Thank you very much for the invitation. Well, it is no secret that the current state of the world economy is quite dismal. In principle, both the One Belt, One Road Initiative and Russia's Greater Eurasian Partnership Initiative are essentially a response to worrying trends in the global economy. And in this sense, this is a comprehensive response in the form of infrastructure projects, in the form of unifying trends, increasing trade ties, and connectedness in general. Of course, it is important to detach to move away from just this political moment, to build up pragmatic, mutually beneficial economic cooperation on an equal basis. Vitali, you have the floor. We, as practitioners, we believe the main site of growth right now is our Asian partners. 
We see great prospects in the pairing of the Eurasian Economic Union and Chairman Xi's One Belt, One Road initiative. We believe that we need to interact more, look for new areas of growth. I think it's very important for us, of course, to develop small and medium-sized businesses. Of course, they are not the same in all countries. In Russia, they are not the same as in China. But nevertheless, I believe that we need to interact precisely at the average level. Good, proper, medium-sized business. It is important for us now to look at our Asian partners and develop our cooperation together. All the more so because in Asia, we are welcome, we are respected, we are valued, and I think it's very promising for us right now. Thank you, Vitaly, and we continue our conversation. The leaders of China and Russia emphasize the importance of this cooperation based on the One Belt, One Road initiative. Could you tell us what achievements Russia has made in the first decade of the One Belt, One Road initiative? We think, probably, that these 10 years were like a warm-up in global terms, because Chairman Xi's One Belt, One Road initiative is looking centuries ahead. Now we need to rebuild our logistics routes, including a fast route from Dongguan to the dry port of Vorsino. We have more initiatives in various oil and gas projects, including Yamal LNG. Here are both cultural cooperation and cooperation in tourism. In fact, now, after the pandemic, our tourism cooperation, tourist travel, is just gaining momentum. And this is also a very big opportunity to replenish the budget of all countries that are on the road, not just China or Russia. And now a question for both of our experts. Recently, the issue of building truly open and inclusive payment systems has become acute. In this context, settlements in national currencies are in demand. The key question here, of course, is on what basis to build mutual settlements, because a national financial messaging system is in fact a very serious part of national sovereignty, and every country is eager to have others join them. So a compromise has to be made here. The BRICS, as we know, have discussed this topic quite thoroughly and at length at both the summit and the ministerial meetings. There is an understanding that it is necessary to strive for this, to build a payment system that would be independent of the corresponding systems formed in the West. Yes, the path is not easy and is quite long, but the very fact that work and real settlements is national currencies have already begun suggests that nothing is impossible. We are not yet talking about a single currency, yes, but about some kind of unit of account so that we are not tied to the dollar, not tied to the euro. This is already being talked about in earnest, and there are already ideas to put into practice. And why don't we in the Asia-Pacific region build that kind of trade? Maybe right now, today, in Yuan, maybe give the lead to China in this area. After all, China has done a lot for this, for the development of its financial institutions, for this project. Yes, of course, 
we would very much like our MIR system to work on all continents. Yes, we really want the ruble to be strong. I think right now, today, you have to be realistic. We need to quickly start trading in yuan now and perhaps build relationships around the yuan. And then, maybe, we could make some common currency on this foundation. Maybe the BRICS bank would become active here or our own financial institutions. Vitaly, thank you very much. We join our colleagues from Beijing studio. It's obvious that Russia-China cooperation is promising and full of impact. Do you have any questions for our guests? Yes, Vasily, I think I'm very interested in green development and some cutting-edge cooperation in digital and financial cooperation. My question is, can we expect intensified cooperation between Belt and Road partners in implementing the climate agenda? And what are some possible areas for collaboration in the digital economy and local currency transactions? Dmitry, please go ahead. Well, the green agenda, the climate agenda, is such a constant that runs through all issues of sustainable socioeconomic development and business contacts. Many of our companies are committed to what is known as the ESG agenda. And we generally understand that this is an important matter. It is an issue on a global scale. If we don't reduce greenhouse gas emissions, at some point temperatures will rise so high that our planet may become uninhabitable. We need to promote elements of green finance. We need to look at the carbon footprint of the production of certain products. And most importantly, we need comparable systems of accounting, regulation, and mutual recognition. We are already doing this work with the People's Republic of China, and we would like to introduce this work to other partners, such as India, such as Middle Eastern countries. There are no contradictions here. Vitaly, the floor is yours. New technologies are now being developed that minimize carbon emissions. It's clear that our technology is improving. On the other hand, we all realize that we need to create something to develop productive industries. And here, nuclear power is indispensable. We are building safe nuclear power plants everywhere. We have global cooperation. I believe that in this green agenda, our Ross Atom is the pathfinder. Nuclear power and our gas. Okay, Vasily, thanks for those insightful perspectives shared by the esteemed guests in your Moscow studio. Multilateralism is facing a lot of challenges, and we're also seeing rising protectionism and also rising debt level due to the slow economic recovery. How should BRI respond to these challenges? The world after, you know, let's say after the Greater Wood system, you know, the first generation of globalization, has come to a, a you know a style and a, you know a, a maybe more uh, slowing down and then we need a second generation of globalization. I think that that is really we need a multilized, uh, multipolar world and then we need what's the what's the system to support that. So from unipolar world to a multipolar world, we need a we need a system to support that. And then Belt and Road system is really a new innovative system, and it has grasped the key absolute crucial part of the. What is lacking in the world is the connecting 
uh, all the countries through the infrastructure, which is most difficult, most challenging part of to do. The, the globalization now, the, the second generation globalization point 2.0, really need uh, uh, something commonly uh, be recognized. I think BRI achieved that. So, Henry, my last question to you is: What role can BRI play in drive collective solutions to our shared challenges of the world today? We have actually achieved, uh, I think, first stage of the of the success. So, in the next decade, you will see the whole Southeast Asia super connected by the speed rail and fast rail, and that will greatly enhance the exchanges. People to people, goods and capital, everything. So this is really we are hoping another decade of success for BI and for the world to prosper and and benefit.、Hmm. So Victor, in your opinion, what will the next decade of BI bring? Well, I think、uh, in the coming ten years, the world will know more about what China is. Now, China is a country that if it discovers a recipe for success, it wants to share it with everyone involved. China. Transformed itself over a matter of forty-three、uh, years by building infrastructure connectivity in order to enable itself to develop faster. China want to share this with all the countries in the world. This is not political. This is not ideological. This is not block politics. For example, this is plain truth as far as China is concerned. Therefore, in the coming ten years, I hope more and more countries. Even including the United States, politicians in Washington will realize this is the true crux of the matter as far as the BRI is concerned. It is a fact. It is a truth. Everyone should participate in. And if you build connectivity, let's connect with your connectivity projects too. And in this way, I hope mankind will be in a better position to eliminate poverty, to promote inclusive development, and to make sure. That the world we live in will be a better world for our children and future generations. And Chris, let me take this to you.、Uh, what's your opinion on the future of BRI? What will bring for the next decade? Well, I, I think that the BRI has really posed a, a global question, which will be answered within the next decade, and that is that China, with 152 members of the Belt and Road Initiative, has been seen to become inclusive, whereas the West has become exclusive. Uh, so the next decade is going to determine、uh, which of those policies is correct.、Um, if exclusive, then、uh, regional blocks will develop. If not, then we'll have global interconnectivity. So I think that on a global basis, how that pans out, we're at a crossroads now as to where we go.、Um, China is pushing,、uh, along with many other countries, in one direction, multipolar. Uh, certain other countries are pushing in another uh, towards uh, exclusivity. So the answer to the question is really、um, another question:、um, uh, which of those two policies will prevail? Thank you. And we would like to hear from guests in your studio. And please take it over. It's not by chance that we have touched the BRICS line. Online with our studio is Fabio Borges, lecturer at the Federal University of Latin American Integration, located at the city of Foz do Iguaçu in Brazil, creator of the BRICS track at the Coordinating Council for Asian Affairs of the Federal University of the State of Pernambuco, director of the Latin American Institute of Economy, Society and Politics of the Federal University of Latin American Integration. 
coordinator of the research group Decolonizing International Relations and the Observatory Extension Project for BRICS and South-South Relations. Brazil is not a participant in the One Belt, One Road project today, but the country is following the initiative closely. Fabio, you have the floor. Today, I would like to talk about the One Belt, One Road initiative. It is huge in terms of investment, scope and the number of countries involved. Therefore, it is necessary to talk about it in more detail. China in the 20th century focused on building what is known as South-South cooperation. This is the cooperation of post-colonial countries that criticize the policy of colonialism, racism. These developing countries plan to pursue a multi-vector foreign policy in order to be heard in international organizations. Therefore, since the 50s, many countries in Latin America, Africa and Asia have sought to build relations with countries in the South. China is determined to build a relationship in which both sides win. China is also promoting the idea of full engagement, which is not only trade relations, but also investment in the development of other areas, such as infrastructure, education, science and others. At the same time, it is obvious that in implementing such projects, China has its own national interests. For the past 30 years, China has been the fastest growing economy in the world. This can be seen in the structural changes that have taken place in the trade relations of many countries for which China has become a major trading partner. China has become the creative workshop of the world of the 21st century. Many countries have very close trade relations with this country, as well as many investment projects. In this respect, One Belt, One Road replicates the fate of the 13th century Silk Road. Therefore, the new idea of the Chinese leadership to repeat the success should not surprise anyone. Before the Industrial Revolution of the late 19th century, China was ahead of many other regions of the world. Thanks a lot for our experts, and I give the floor to our colleagues from Beijing. Okay, vastly thanks for those insightful perspectives shared by the esteemed guests in your Moscow studio. And that concludes our special edition discussing the Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation. Throughout our broadcast, we heard from distinguished experts from both sides about the progress made under the BRI over the past decade, as well as the exciting opportunities ahead. In the last 10 years, it has already transformed connectivity, infrastructure, and trade flows for partner countries. But there is still tremendous potential to leverage the BRI framework for win-win cooperation. Whether spurring adoption of emerging technologies, supporting the global south, or shaping a more inclusive world order, it's clear this initiative has an important role to play. And we'd like to thank our guests in the studio again, Wang Huiyao, founder and president of Center for China and Globalization, Victor Gao, chair professor at Suzhou University, and Chris Devonshire Ellis, chairman of Deza Shira and Associates and publisher of Silk Road Briefing. Our special thanks also to Vasily and the wonderful TV Breaks team in Moscow for making this co-production possible. And with that, we we'll wrap up this edition of Biz Talk. I'm Guaxing in Beijing. See you next time. <laughs>